Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 2.23 Let me read it again. Backing up to 22 and reading this time through 24. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Father, in the words just read, we find the very essence of the gospel that we believe and that we have received by faith. Christ died for our sins. Your plan, your provision, our salvation. Help us in today, relative to our recall, that it be spirit and scripture driven to the glory of Christ and to thy honor as our God and Father. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In 1926, a Scottish preacher named Arthur John Gossip. Of all the names for preacher, I would not want to be named Arthur John Gossip. But nonetheless, preacher named Arthur John Gossip preached a sermon on what it was that brought Christ to crucifixion. He eloquently spoke of the role of the Pharisees. And the role of the Sadducees. He spoke of the role, R-O-L-E, of Judas and the governor, Pilate. He concluded with the role of all the people gathered that day, dramatically calling upon the authorities to crucify Jesus. 
But then ultimately the preacher, Arthur John Gossett, pointed to the sins of the wicked as to blame and the, quote, sins of ordinary, decent people such as we sin every day, end quote. The sermon extolled the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now a number of us here will recall that there was a gospel song uh, beginning in the 1970s written by a guy named Mickey Holliday. The song was entitled, Who Killed Jesus? And it followed somewhat of the logic that had been presented by the Scottish preacher a generation before him. And uh, I'm sure that some of you will remember uh, some of the words of that song. Was it Roman soldiers with their tools of war driving nails through hands that did no wrong? Was it Pontius Pilate, he was governor, trying to decide the case that day, finding that the Savior had no fault his own? Was he guilty when he turned away? Was it Hebrew children, proud of who they were, shouting crucify him at their king, trading their Messiah for a common thief, turning down the kingdom he would bring. The song ends with an expression of personal guilt and the phrase as to who killed Jesus, it was really me. I am responsible in a direct way for the death of Jesus. Every informed believer should own this phrase. I am responsible for the death of Jesus. Say it. I am responsible for the death of Jesus. One more time. I am responsible for the death of Jesus. And while we would quibble not with that truth as presented in sermon and song, and while we absolutely would attest that Christ died for our sins, and that all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Today, we turn briefly to the apostolic message of Peter to the Jewish crowd gathered for that feast of Pentecost long ago as recorded in Acts 2. We take note once again in Acts 2 and verse 14 that all of the apostles stood for the preaching as done by Peter on this occasion 
bringing, as it were, a unified apostolic witness to the Jerusalem crowd exactly as the Lord had forecasted that they would in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Peter's spirit-driven sermon, as recorded for us, thereafter presents to us another angle of perspective on the crucifixion of Christ that I do believe evokes the deepest kind of heartfelt response in all right-minded worshipers. Peter stresses the role of God the Father at the cross. The first word in the verse 23 is the word him. And to better understand that word him, we back up just a little bit to verse 22 to define this pronoun in reference. It refers to, words of verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth. That entitlement has ethnic and historical significance. Peter was a Jewish preacher, preaching to a Jewish crowd, men of Israel, about the Jewish man formerly among them and, quote, in the midst of them as, quote, known. This is clear reference to the historical Jesus, who is, of course, the foundation of all Christianity. Verse 23 is referencing the Jewish Jesus of first century history. Him. We're talking about him. Jesus of Nazareth. A Jewish man, formerly known among Jewish people in that day. And likewise knowing of his preaching and teaching and his signs and wonders. As is recorded in verse 22. As to who him refers, it refers to Jesus of Nazareth. As to what, you have likewise in verse 22 the words approved of God. Jesus of Nazareth approved of God. Peter tells the Jewish crowd that this is the Jesus set forth by God as they already knew. The word approved here means to show, to set forth or to put on display, just exactly like our ladies have put on display the communion ware, filled with the elements of the ordinance of which we will partake, in the same way that that tableware has been set forth, set before us, so that the moment we walked in this morning, whether in the first hour or the second hour, there it was. In that same way, God the Father set forth him, Jesus of Nazareth, this one approved by God. Here then, in verse 22, is the theological view of definition concerning the pronoun, verse 23, him. 
God's own approval or proof of Jesus, evident to the crowd gathered, came by the Lord's manifest power out of heaven in the form of miracles, wonders, and signs, says verse 22, as demonstrated by Jesus. God the Father set forth this Jesus, and the Jewish crowd knew it and him firsthand. And so verse 23 is all about him. As we think about God's approval for Jesus in this hour with knowledge about the triunity, we see and say that herein God the Father set forth God the Son become man. And then we press, as it were, for a few moments the truth of verse 23. We can likewise see something of God the Father's role, God the Father's role in delivery, determination, desire, dedication, deferment. All of those elements of God the Father's role indicated in verse 23. God the Father's delivery of Jesus. God the Father's determination concerning Jesus. God the Father's desire for Jesus. God the Father's dedication of Jesus. God the Father's deferment of Jesus, the Christ. All of that in a single verse, verse 23. Let me zip the list one more time for our devotional consideration before participation at the Lord's table. First key word, delivery. God the Father's delivery. The Greek word, Ekdoktos means to give up and over to the will of others. God the Father, according to verse 23, delivered. Him being delivered. Who was the deliverer? God the Father. Who was delivered? Jesus Christ. Where was he delivered? To your door and mine? Well, in a way, yeah. But he was delivered into the hands of others. God the Father gave up Jesus to the wicked will of others by his own eternal design. Delivery. God the Father delivered God the Son. Now when I come to the table of the Lord, I usually think God delivered me. God delivered me from my sins. I'm forgiven. God delivered me from the penalty of, of a forever death. True. But if I'm going to think right about this table, I have to remember that my deliverance is contingent upon the fact that God the Father delivered up Jesus Christ for my sins. The Father delivered the Son. Second word, determination. This word reminds us of what happened at the cross was not a result of a man making up his mind about God, but was indeed about God having made up his mind about man. That's why we are bold to speak of election 
It's why we are bold to speak about the Father's eternal determination. Because that's what the Bible says. We don't beg off from it. We don't run away from it. We're not in any way ashamed of it. What a glorious thing to realize that you and I that are saved are only saved because God determined it. Without God's determination, no one would be saved. God determined what would happen at the cross for the benefit of mankind. And salvation is ultimately not predicated upon the fact that any person has made up their mind about Jesus Christ, but because the fact is that God made up his mind about the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think of the word desire then. I get it from the word counsel in the, in the text. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel. The determinate desire of God. The decision of placing Jesus on the cross was determined based upon the desire of God or God's loving will. God the Father chose to do what he wanted to do. His decision paralleled his desire. His decision to determine paralleled his counsel, paralleled his desire. Here's how we usually say that. God so loved the world. Dedication. By the will and decision of God the Father, God the Son was dedicated or devoted to the cross. The word foreknowledge in both the Greek and the English is prognosis. It does not reference knowledge before the fact, <clears throat> but rather the prearrangement dedication, devotion of a thing. God the Father devoted God the Son or dedicated God the Son to the work of the cross. The cross was his mission as assigned him. For our benefit, his mission. For our benefit, as devoted by God the Father. And then the next word that I render is the word deferred. God the Father offered or gave into the hands of sinful people the sinless one. They took what God the Father gave. And according to the text, they fastened it to the cross. That's the word crucify. That word crucify means to fasten. We would say nailed. People nailed Jesus to the tree. And the word slain in that verse literally means to take up and lift off the ground. Like grabbing a hymnal and holding it over your head. The word uh, means to take and lift up off the ground. And so the father deferred into the hands of sinful men the Lord Jesus, his perfect and blameless son, for the purpose of nailing, for the purpose of lifting up in death, 
That's just a powerful thing to think about. And all of those things are kind of like compacted and pushed into a single verse of Scripture that indicates the role of God in our salvation, the role of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, if you add verse 24, you can add one more D word, and that would be the D word defeat, the defeat of sin and death. For God the Father defeated death, for the verse says it was not possible. It was simply not possible for God the Father to leave God the Son in the hold of death. So we can speak of the defeat of sin and the defeat of death by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the whole then, Peter preached of God the Father's design, God the Father's delivery, God the Father's determination, God the Father's desire, God the Father's dedication, God the Father's deferment, and God the Father's defeat of sin and death. All eternally connected to the cross of Jesus Christ. So that, so that, so that you and I would stand back in the view of the cross and say in our soul, God hath done great things for us wherein we are glad. Father, help us today as we partake. Help us today to see the action of the triune God on our behalf. The Father's role in sending. The Son in role as sacrifice and the Spirit's work in opening the heart and mind, stirring the soul, bringing to the believer's mind clarity for faith and the reception of the grace of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May the heart of every believer leap to think, to say, to live, what great things you have done for us. Herein we are glad. We ask your blessing upon your people in participation today. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.